Section 1 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, January 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Cotter, MuralTranslations.com. Russia in Europe by the Honorable Gardiner G. Hubbard, LLD, President of the National Geographic Society. England, the United States, and Russia have each made greater territorial acquisitions during the present century than all the other countries of the world together. In the case of the British Empire, these have been larger and more important than those of either the United States or Russia. The United States and Russia have only annexed contiguous territory, save Alaska. Russia, when first enrolled among civilized nations in the time of Peter the Great, had no outlet to any ocean except the Arctic, and consequently no possibility of a navy or of commerce. Since then, she has extended her dominion northwest to the Gulf of Bothnia and the Baltic Sea, building St. Petersburg on the marshes of Finland, south to the Black and Caspian Seas, southeast to Afghanistan and China, and in the extreme east to the River Amur and the Pacific. The acquisitions of the Russian Empire within this century are greater in extent and importance than the whole of European Russia before that time. Her frontier has been advanced toward Stockholm, 630 miles, toward Berlin, 700 miles, toward Constantinople, 500 miles, toward India, 1,300 miles. Her territory in Europe comprises more than one half of that continent, yet with all her great empire she has only three ports, and these on the Black Sea, open to navigation throughout the year, the others being closed by ice from three to six months, while from those on the Black Sea ships of war have no right to pass into the Mediterranean. Until within one hundred years, southern and southeastern Russia were infested with hordes of Tartars and Kalmucks, who overran nearly one-third of Russia, wandering tribes without fixed habitation or permanent government, marauders, slave-dealers, and vagabonds, who came, conquered, burned, pillaged, murdered, and went. The first step of Russia when she determined that her empire should belong to the civilization of Europe was the subjugation of these tribes. This has been accomplished by compelling the Tartars and Kalmucks to live within fixed and permanent boundaries, by enrolling the Cossacks into bands of cavalry and substituting the agricultural for the nomadic life. Many of the tribes, unwilling to give up their wandering life, retired beyond the Caspian Sea, and from those regions continued their inroads upon the Russian settlements. Russia, for her own protection, was again obliged to subdue these unruly tribes, and therefore to extend her dominion still farther to the east, until it finally reached a barrier in the Pamir and the mountains of Afghanistan. Physical Features of Russia If nature ever made the boundaries of a nation, it determined those of Russia the Arctic Ocean on the north, the Ural Mountains on the east, the Black and Caspian Seas on the south, and the Baltic Sea on the northwest, with Siberia and Transcaspia as the natural extension of her empire. In August 1881, I left London on a trip to Russia, passing through Antwerp, Berlin, and Königsberg to St. Petersburg, thence to Moscow and Nizhny Novgorod. 
from moscow i went southeast through russia over the caucasus to tiflis in asia thence to batum and sebastopol on the black sea and from the crimea north to moscow in all this journey of three thousand five hundred miles we crossed no range of mountains we saw no hills more than five or six hundred feet in height until we reached the caucasus it was one broad level plain from antwerp to konigsberg one hundred and fifty miles in width bounded on the north by the baltic on the south by the erzberg and the foothills of the carpathian mountains entering russia the plain widens extending northeast one thousand eight hundred miles along the coast of the arctic ocean to the ural mountains south to the black sea and the foothills of the caucasus and southeast three thousand miles to the mountains of afghanistan my letters written from the foothills of the caucasus say only think of travelling from one end of europe to the other over a plain neither hill nor mountain in all the route with scarcely a new scene from morning to night or from one day to another after two days and nights travelling nearly due south from st petersburg we have not reached as far south as st john's in newfoundland yesterday our route was over great plains with rich black earth occasional forests pretty well watered to-day broad level steppes with sandy soil without a tree in sight we are travelling through the land of the cossacks men and women at every station have asiatic faces and wear generally a goatskin coat with the fur inside fastened by a girdle no trace of cultivation except on the streams which we cross from time to time these streams flow in low narrow valleys the road descends two or three hundred feet into the valleys by curves and then ascends to the plain to save grading and this affords the only variation in the scenery in this great plain there are five distinct zones of land the frozen the forest the black the agricultural and the barren steppes the black zone near the centre is the most fertile and thickly inhabited to the north the country grows gradually less fertile passing through the forest zone to the arctic zone entirely destitute of vegetation to the south of the black zone the country likewise grows less and less fertile passing through the agricultural zone to the dry and sandy steppes entirely destitute of vegetation from two hundred to three hundred miles in width the black zone extends from austria a little north of east across russia over the ural mountains far into siberia it resembles our prairies has a rich black soil of great depth unsurpassed in fertility reclus says that all traces of glaciers disappear where the black lands begin and the forests end while the contrast between the flora of the two regions is complete american geologists believe that the glaciers extended over the whole of russia to the black sea and that the great level plain which constitutes russia is due to the aquioglacial action in the northern part of the black zone are occasional groves of oak and birch travelling north these are succeeded by forests of hardwood with occasional evergreens gradually the hardwood disappears then we enter the forest zone pines and evergreens about one-third of russia is forest in this region are immense districts where the only roads are rivers flowing through interminable walls then comes a land of rocks lakes and swamps with isolated and snowy masses rising above the forests and peat beds 
This is the Arctic zone, and here is Finland, a region of lakes, over 1101 province. The great forests of pine become small evergreens, reaching a height of 25 feet in 100 years, gaining their maturity in 300 years. Gradually, they become yet smaller, and are of slower growth. The giant of these forests is the willow, which sometimes reaches a height of six inches. A little farther north the rainfall exceeds the evaporation and river flow and forms a woodless plain of small lakes and morasses, called tundra, on which neither man nor beast could set foot if the ground were not frozen to the depth of very many feet, in summer melting a little more than one foot. Into this treeless region in summer come innumerable birds of different kinds to build their nests and hatch their young. In autumn they fly south, some to the Crimea, some to Asia, others into Africa. So level is the country that in their flight they rarely reach a height of 500 feet above sea level. This is the land of the Samoyeds, where agriculture is impossible and the natives live by fishing and hunting. Still farther north, yet in Russia, is Nova Zembla. 75 degrees north latitude, where no animal life exists. But even here, in this land of ice and snow, several hundred species of lichen have been found. Though the surface of the water is frozen for about nine months in the year, yet fish and animalculae abound, the temperature of the fish varying with the water in which they live, here only a little above freezing point. Returning to the black zone near the latitude of Moscow and travelling south, first the hardwood gives place to the rich prairie land, then we reach the agricultural steppe, a treeless land, susceptible of cultivation, though lacking in the rich deep loam of the black zone. Farther south lie the vast barren steppes, in the west a sandy desert, in the east a vast saline plain, formerly the bed of a great lake, of which the Caspian and Aral seas formed a small part. This is the genuine steppe, a country level as the sea, without even a gentle undulation or a particle of cultivation, neither tree nor bush, nor even a stone to diversify the monotonous expanse. The inhabitants lead a nomadic life, like those of the Arctic region. The very diversity of the country and the occupations of the people of Russia tend to unity, for the north needs the grain of the south, and the south requires the wood of the north. Middle Russia, that great centre of manufactures, without the north and south would lack markets for its manufactures. Mountains The greatest extent of upland in Russia is near Great Novgorod, southwest of St. Petersburg, where the Valdai Hills rise from 800 to 1,000 feet. In the east, the Ural Mountains separate Russia from Siberia, a range of plateaus rather than mountains attaining an elevation of from 3,000 to 5,000 feet, extending from the Arctic Ocean south about 1,200 miles. They are rich in metals, gold, precious stones, iron and coal, with large and productive mines. In the southeastern part of Russia are the Caucasian Mountains, separating Europe from Asia and running from the Black to Caspian Seas, about 600 miles in length and 150 in width. The culminating point is Mount Elbers, 18,572 feet above the sea level, 3,000 feet higher than Mont Blanc. Near the centre of the Caucasus is Mount Kazbek, 16,552 feet, 
1,000 feet higher than Monte Rosa. These mountains are clothed with snow for several thousand feet, and down their sides flow many glaciers. The Russians have so little love of scenery that they rarely make excursions among these mountains or ascend Elbers, which, though half a mile higher than Mont Blanc, is much easier of ascent because there is only a steady climb for several hours over smooth, frozen snow. Near Kazbek is the pass of Dariel, 8,000 feet in height, the only carriage road through these mountains. In ancient times this pass, called the Gates of the Caucasus, was guarded by Tartar towers, which still stand, thousands of years old, overlooking the pass. Until Russia conquered the northern part of Persia, the two sides were never held by the same power. At the southeastern extremity of the Caucasus, on the Caspian Sea, at Baku, there stands an old temple, where for centuries a beacon was kept burning by the fire-worshippers of India and Persia. The people in the olden time believed that the fire was supernatural, the gift of the god of fire. Modern science shows that it came from oil wells, and modern enterprise has here developed a great industry. The old temple of the fire worshippers remains. On one side of it are huge derricks pumping the oil. On the other, a great stone embankment stretching over a mile along the coast, where steam and sailing vessels and long trains of railroad cars load with oil. Here is a population of 50,000, where 20 years ago were less than 1,500. The Parsi tending the fire symbolizes the past, the Russian with his oil wells, his railroads and steamboats, the future. The petroleum is used for fuel on the Caspian and Volga steamers. It is sent up the Volga and its branches to all parts of Russia and is carried by rail from Baku to Batum, on the Black Sea, and thence by steamer to different parts of Europe. It has superseded American oil in Russia and competed with it in Vienna and Berlin until consolidation of the American and Russian interests was made. In 1893, Baku alone produced 33,104,000 gallons, a production largely exceeding that of either of the two great oil fields of America. Another range of mountains, or rather a continuation of the Caucasus, runs across the Crimea. This range protects the coast on the southeastern side from the cold winds of the north, and here are Levadia and Yalta, where the late Tsar died, the only places in all Russia where there is an equable climate like that of Nice and Menton. The road from Livadia crosses this chain of mountains through a pass about 3,000 feet in height, with views of the Black Sea, resembling those of the Mediterranean near Amalfi, and then descends to Balaclava and Sebastopol, where the winter winds from the Arctic blow unbroken by any mountains. River System in the plateau of the Valdai, the principal rivers of Russia rise. The Volga and its branches flow east and south to the Caspian Sea, the Dnieper and Don to the Black Sea, others northwest to the Baltic. Russia is so level that its rivers are slow and sluggish, with little water except during the melting of snows. They are connected with each other and with the Gulf of Finland and the Arctic Ocean by canals, so that intercommunication between different parts of the country is easy in the summer. The rivers that empty into the Arctic Ocean and into the Black and Caspian Seas have several mouths, so that navigation from the river into the sea is very difficult. 
there are thirty-three thousand miles of navigable rivers eighty-one thousand vessels of various kinds and one hundred and thirty-eight thousand rafts climate in its climate as in extent conformation and population russia differs from the other countries of europe these are bathed by the warm winds from the atlantic and mediterranean the moisture of these winds is rapidly condensed as they pass over the alps and carpathians and the mountains of norway and sweden the source of numerous rivers and affording an abundant supply of rain to western europe these winds then blow over russia but they have become dry without moisture consequently the rainfall of western russia is only about twenty or twenty-five inches or half that of western europe this steadily diminishes toward the east leaving the steppes of eastern russia dry and barren unless irrigated the temperature diminishes rapidly from the west to the east north of fifty degrees or far south of moscow it diminishes more rapidly from the west to the east than from the south to the north over the vast plain of russia the winds blow without obstruction the cold winter winds bring from the arctic ocean the temperature of the polar regions while the warm summer winds from the black sea convey the temperature of the torrid zone spring and autumn are almost unknown for as soon as the frost is gone about the middle of april or the first of may the wheat and grain fields and the foliage of the trees burst forth with a rapidity unknown in our country End of section one.